TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Way back and done. Touch them all. It's Touch Them All. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying Touch Them All. All right, welcome to another episode of Touch Them All. This one podcast only because it is free agency frenzy bonanza week on Score North, on the live audio feeds and on the radio. So Derek and I have sat down in a quiet, podcast-friendly room here, back to our old roots, where we used to do all of our Twins podcasts. Where you used to touch them all, yeah. Yes. Uh, actually, we should note, NFL free agent frenzy bonanza has preempted touch them all. What there was I, no did... frenzy. You just said free agent frenzy. Oh. There was no free agent frenzy in Major League Baseball, so that's why they don't get a show. Sorry. Yeah, it's amazing how like the NFL opens up the free agency floodgates. And not even that. They open up the legal tampering floodgates for two days. They say, okay, for the next 48 hours, you can make phone calls and negotiate with players, but nobody can sign anything for 48 hours. And, like, everyone has already agreed to $50 million contracts, basically. And then change their mind, and then... Yeah, and baseball takes nine months for Bryce Harper to sign a contract, for God's sakes. I like the way that baseball doesn't cap it, but I like the entertainment and excitement of the NBA and the NFL better. So baseball, take some notes, and uh, maybe you can learn some things from the NFL and the NBA. But if you are interested in Vikings-related content, we are all over free agency. Cheap plug real quick for the work that Matthew Collar and Rami Maklop and Judd Zulgad are doing and uh, Manny Hill and everyone involved in our Purple Daily Show. Courtney Cronin's been great. You can find full coverage, news, opinions, entertainment, whatever it is, written form, Podcast form, live, videos, all of it at our hub, scorenorth.com, S-K-O-R-North.com. And you can subscribe to all of our Viking shows, wherever you find podcasts, whether it's Apple or Spotify now. And uh, you just have to search Score North Vikings. So, all right. I think we should do a deep dive here. You just got back from spring training. You spent the last few weeks in Fort Myers, Florida. And the Twins are placing a bet that their pitching philosophies and their new pitching coaches led by Wes Johnson are going to raise the water level organizationally for all pitching. That it's not snap your fingers and sign Craig Kimbrell or wave a magic wand and bring in people from outside the organization, players, and now you're just better. They're looking to, to create a groundswell of velocity and uh, pitch sequencing And things that they're looking to take pitchers that you wouldn't ordinarily look at as star pitchers, whether it's a Martin Perez or uh, or whoever you could name in the minor league system and turn them into viable pitchers. And so I'd love to know, like, I I just wrote down a few notes on Wes Johnson, the Twins new pitching coach. Basically, all I know about him before reading things from from spring training and your coverage and hearing him on this show last week. I know that he's been a college pitching coach for several years, Arkansas, Mississippi State. Dallas Baptist, a couple other stops. Mm-hmm. I know that 30 of his pitchers have been drafted, including five of them from Dallas Baptist in 2015. And that's pretty much where my biographical and informational <laughs> okay. right. uh, load stops with Wes Johnson. So why, and, 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 and maybe uh, Jeremy Hefner, if you, or Hefner, right? Hefner. Jeremy Hefner, if you could tie him, he's the assistant pitcher sure. coach. I would love for you to just dump everything you have on the table here. Okay. Why is Wes Johnson the guy that the Twins have tabbed, and, and what is the mission here for Wes Johnson? So 2012, I wanted to slip in this anecdote, but you asked the question so pointedly. 
the most important thing you have to know about Wes Johnson is that he calls a skinnier version of Kyle Gibson. He lost about 15 pounds. He's like 199 now. He calls him Big Beef Mountain. So you have to know that about Wes Johnson. Is Big that, Beef Mountain. Yeah, Kyle, Kyle Gibson, 6'6", six, six, <laughs> 199, soaking wet at the starting of spring training. Calls him Big Beef Mountain. But he is uh, he's a fun guy. He's... I only had brief interactions with him, Phil, because like he's working, so I it's not like I was trailing him around necessarily. But you talk to enough people that work with him, and you, you know, I got to sit down with him just outside the bullpens at Hammond Stadium, and it was it was revealing in that he told me two things, and then he went and backed them up in his actions on a day to day basis, and in the way that people talk about him. He said. The first thing I'm here to do is to have fun. I got into this game originally because it was fun. I kept coaching because it was fun. That's why all the players are here. I'm here to have fun. And then a very close behind that is I'm here to educate. This is not just you know slapping towels and being goofy and you're going to get the best out of players. This is everything that you and I have talked about for years on this podcast taken to the 100th level above what your and my understanding reaches. He is teaching sequencing. He's working with guys on their biomechanics. He is, uh, I don't know if Wes Johnson's going to be successful as a pitching coach in the major leagues. In fact, there's a chance he won't be. He's the first person jumping from the college ranks and trying to do something no one has ever done before. However, if I were placing a bet, I would say this is the type of profile of person, of coach, of learner that I would want to put my chips on to say, yeah, this guy will probably be successful in that role. So what are some of the – so you mentioned like biomechanics, and, uh, and and doesn't he have a master's in kinesiology? No, he so he started studying biomechanics. I don't know that he ever got the advanced degree. Um, he does have his undergrad and then was like sort of, the way I understand it, auditing classes okay. while he was at Dallas Baptist. Basically, somebody pulled him aside from the school board, uh, one of their executive vice presidents, and said, hey, uh, we got some of these things that you might be interested in. This is in 2012. Uh, If you want to start looking into this stuff, I mean, we're offering this. Why don't you come along for the ride? So he did. I mean, that to me says all you need to know. Even if he never learned the uh, finer art of biomechanics, I'm already interested, like, my curiosity is peaked in a guy who wanted to then go learn that stuff. So I'm it just gonna, seems natural, right? I'm going to ask some questions on behalf of fans because I think sure. I think a lot of this, it's almost to the point now where it's like, some of the terminology has jumped the shark, and you know there's a there's a disconnect between what teams are doing and and how it's maybe portrayed on broadcasts or what there's a gap between what teams are doing and what and what fans know about what teams are doing. Okay, so. Why do biomechanics matter when it comes to pitching development from what you've gathered? So like how, are the, how, how is that umbrella applied to yeah. human beings with baseballs? How much time do you have? <laughs> well, <laughs> like this far, far exceeds my understanding. But just at, with that expectation out of the way, uh, picture a pitcher's arm and it's his right arm. And he is delivering the ball in such a way that puts massive amounts of torque on his elbow. And there's strain on tendons or whatever it is. And and in the room here, Phil, I can show you what I'm talking about on my arm. But for the listener, just picture like the average pitch. And you've seen those things. When they take uh, the still shot, you watch a guy throw a ball. You're like, yeah, that's what throwing a baseball looks like. But then you see the picture of that pitcher after the game. And you're like, oh, my God, what is happening to his elbow? 
a hundred times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for starting pitchers. Yeah. yeah, 150 for a lot of these guys, and it's it looks unnatural. It's one of those things that we've just explained away in baseball for a while. Of oh, guy got hurt. Well, shrug your shoulders. Well, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's human body's not designed to do that. I get that, and that's true to an extent. But how come some guys are healthier than others? How come some guys that same massive amount of force doesn't cause their ligaments to erode over time and just snap and be done? How come some pitchers don't have the same amount of force placed on those ligaments despite the same amount of velocity on the ball, whatever? Like I say, these far exceed my understanding but the way I understand biomechanics is like, what are these optimal movement patterns? How are you able to minimize risk? And whether that's lowering torque or whatever, that's stuff that's way beyond my comprehension. But having an understanding of the way that the body is supposed to move, that it was sort of designed to move, then you can maybe have a better grip on, okay, is this pitcher at risk for getting hurt? Or yeah. can we tweak something and maybe get a couple more, couple extra miles um, out of his fastball, and that's what they're trying to do, for example, with a Steven Gonsalves. They're trying to take his 89 fastball, turn it into a 95 fastball. And are they doing that with, with weighted baseballs, or is it a combination of mechanics? And so that fact, gets into fact, Where does the team stand with weighted baseballs? I saw weighted baseballs in spring training. Okay. So it's kind I of mean, a controversial topic around baseball, and for fans who aren't, I mean, it's like when you watch hitters in the batter's box, they have bat weights or donuts they put on their bat so that when they take that off and they go face a pitcher throwing 100 miles an hour, the bat feels lighter, right? Yeah. And for pitchers, it's kind of the same thing. If I throw uh, a slightly weighted – they're not throwing a shot put because you, you tear your labrum out of the uh, – like your arm would fall off. But it's sort of the same thing where if I throw a slightly heavier ball in warm-ups or in bullpen sessions and then I throw a real baseball, I'm probably going to see – some sort of increase in velocity, right? But maybe you're doing more damage to your elbow and your shoulder, and you're more primed to, to blow something out at an earlier age. Sure, but there's studies about all this stuff, and you can just get to the scientific truth of it. It's not like this controversial, does this work or does this not work? You just you could run a study, and you have tons of uh, data samples, and you use a bunch of test cases. That's where it's a little controversial, in that now we're just telling everybody, try to throw 100, and you'll get signed. And... 15% of you are going to irreparably damage your labrums, and sorry, you're not going to make it in big league baseball. That's a little controversial from my perspective, yeah. but from sort of this macro baseball perspective, the rise in velocity is going to be good for pitching. Um, yeah, so I I don't think that they have a... What Wes would tell you is there's not a cookie-cutter system for every pitcher. He said the number one thing that he learned starting in about 2012 at Dallas Baptist with those biomechanical sort of classes and whether he was auditing or whatever, it, that wasn't very clear, but he worked on this stuff and learned towards his, you know, post-grad degree. Um, he learned that everyone's different and that sounds obvious and it sounds cliched, but we do sort of have this template of what you view as like, what are clean mechanics and what is good for a pitcher to be doing? What is sustainable? How come Tim Lincecum was able to sustain what he did for a while despite an atypical frame? I think that we in the public are probably behind where teams and medical advances are in terms of understanding this kind of stuff. So, yeah, without, I mean, diving super nerdy deep into it because I'm not really, I'm not the person who's, like, obsessed with kinesiology or any, anything like that, but 
I do think that there is this push to understand more about the human body and about how it can throw a baseball or swing a baseball or any of this stuff that you use, the human movements in baseball, the better we can understand that, the better we can train for it, Yeah, and the better that we can make improvements across the board and promote safety. Okay, let's let's take a specific example here. Uh, so Martin Perez, and I... I know he got off to a really hot start in spring, and I'm just, I just want to make sure that he hasn't gotten shelled for 10 runs since we're... Uh, no, so he's so far, he has pitched in three games in spring training. Nine innings, two earned runs, seven strikeouts, one walk. Uh, good velocity from reports that I've seen. Yeah, I saw him so, hit 97 on the gun so, at CenturyLink. So my question is, like, Martin Perez, you would look at that signing, and, and a lot of people did, and we did on the show, or sort of looking at it and saying, all right, this dude has been a major league pitcher for parts of seven seasons. He has a 4.63 earned run average. Last year, a 6.22 earned run average. What are we missing? Like, right. why, why is this the addition? Why is he being given a guaranteed contract for a few million dollars and just being put in your rotation? So that was one side of my brain. The other side of my brain says... These guys aren't idiots, especially Derek Falvey when it comes to pitching. Derek Falvey was part of the Cleveland crew that found Corey Kluber mm-hmm. and and turned him into a Cy Young Award winner. So they obviously see something that goes beyond what you would find on the back of a baseball card for statistics. They see something in his pitch uh, repertoire that could be tweaked. So my, I guess my question to you is, in, in whatever you've found out in your time at spring training, what do they see with a guy like Martin Perez that says, yep, if we just get Wes Johnson working with him on a regular basis and apply some of our philosophies, he can become a number three starter or, sure. or whatever that looks like. like or what number are they five. Do? Sure. <laughs> yeah, right. like, what are they going to do specifically with him besides just run him out there and pray? So Right. So this <laughs> actually goes beyond Wes Johnson, but that is part of the point. Wes Johnson, Jeremy Hefner, uh, Rocco Baldelli. Josh Kulk, pitching analyst, Derek Falvey, guys in guys and gals in the research and development department that you don't see their name all the time, absolutely are impacting Martin Perez. In fact, I was talking to somebody with the Twins who said uh, it's somewhere between a half dozen and a dozen people that are going to be working on the Martin Perez project. Right? Like that's amazing to me that it's not just. What was the joke back uh, when Don Cooper was in his prime with as the White Sox pitching coach? Just he'd fix him. Oh, I see something I can fix. Yeah, he said publicly, uh, I see a few things in Francisco Liriano that are going to— That's right. As it turns out, the Pirates were the team that cashed in on Francisco Yeah, Ray Searage should get some credit for that. (laughs) But there is this element of like, ooh, pitching coach, guru, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Okay, some of that's overstated. What really this is going to be is what's your stuff? Like what's your profile? Can we make any of those individual weapons better so you can get more swing and miss in the zone? Can we change your mindset, your approach, so that you're not just giving away ball one and you're behind in the count and trying to fight your way back? Let's attack. Let's be aggressive. Let's get strike one. Um, Let's not put ourselves in harm's way to have hard contact against us. But some of that's the name of the game. To answer your question, though, and back up a little bit, is that like Wes Atal are tasked now with getting the most out of Martin Perez. I think it's adding a cutter. It's ditching a pitch that wasn't working for him last year, changing up his mix a little bit. And then if you can build that velo back from like 93, 94 to 96, 97, suddenly a whole pitch mix starts to look a lot better. You can't just eliminate the fastball or you can't just react to the fastball, look for his off-speed stuff. You have to go ready to hit a fastball and then he drops a slider across the plate 
now there's that deception level. There's that bigger gap between what one pitch looks like coming out of his hand and what another one actually does. That is the game. Yeah. That is what every pitcher in baseball is trying to do, deceive hitters, fool them, not let them hit it hard. And there's much more than just sort of biomechanics that goes into that. Wes is going to be a part of that equation, but I think he'd tell you too if you asked him the same question. This is not just me. This is the athlete. This is a support staff surrounding him. And if you wanted to go really, really deep, you could talk about, um, like, let's use Stephen Gonzalez as an example. Tall, skinny lefty, threw 89-90 last year. I saw him, and I was like, oh, I don't know. A lot of hype around this prospect, but if that's his mix, it's he's going to have to be Greg Maddox yeah. to get big league hitters out. I feel like we've seen a never-ending string since I've been following this team of lefties who throw 90. Yeah, that's right. And, and like, like Brian Dunsing. And if you're a righty who throws 90, you're just out of the league. You're left-handed, you got a chance. But if you're left-handed and you throw 95 and you're a starter and you can sustain, that's pretty interesting. And it's not all velocity. I'm not trying to say that. But, like, velocity matters. It makes a big difference in can you get swing and miss, can yeah. you prevent runs, or can't you? You know what's amazing? I'd have to go look this up. but So I, I covered that Twins beat from 2010 through, like, 2013 and then paid really close attention to the day-to-day details of it. Uh, for 1500ESPN.com in the couple of years. So there was there was a five-year period where nothing, no little detail got by me, and I would I took pride in finding the little things that maybe uh, other people wouldn't see. And I remember for, for two or three years, Fangraphs has a page where they'll, it'll tell you a team's average velocity on its fastball. It'll take all the pitchers who have thrown pitches for that team so if a team threw tens of thousands of pitches, it would take the velocity of every pitch and it would give you an average. And now the gap between the highest velocity major league team and the lowest velocity is still only like a mile per hour or two because it's not like one team has guys that throws 99 only and another team has guys that throw 92 only. And there's, Interesting you know, strategy. <laughs> but I do remember the Twins ranked in the, in the Terry Ryan era at the end dead last in average velocity. For multiple years, yeah, and uh, again, velocity is not everything, but if if velocity matters and velocity is going up, and you throw at the lowest velocity of any team in baseball, and you start to look at how the Twins rank last in team ERA and most home runs allowed, and you can start to correlate some of that stuff. Uh, but before I forget to ask you, I mean, the Twins are are trying to implement all of these new philosophies and. And the most important aspect, I think, of, of baseball coaching staffs now is can you disseminate information that you're gathering to human beings that are 19 years old or even like 35-year-old guys who've been in the league for a long time and getting them to maybe buy into some new philosophy. So I would think that Wes Johnson was probably hired in large part because he, he has to be a great communicator. A, is that fair to say? And B, what have you – like they're not going to hire a guy – to take information that the front office is compiling, deliver it to Kyle Gibson and Martin Perez and have him be a crappy communicator, right? Yeah. Like, what have you observed in that area? Yeah, that like, how is... How much buy-in is there from players and how much are they interacting with Wes Johnson? With that is the name of the game. And some guys, you get to the big leagues because you trusted your approach. So that's always going to be... There's this wall there that sort of needs to come down of, of, okay, I got here and my stuff's good, but like you got to really want to unlock that extra 1%. You've got to really, you know, just just to use a, kind of a nerdy example, like if you've got a four-seam fastball that rides, like that just sits up at the top of the zone, 
it's you want to get nerdier, it's a high spin fastball. If you are among the elite in four seam spin rate, and it's just you know that that fastball that looks like a rising fastball, that pitch sets up a hammer curveball really really well. If you have a low spin fastball and it just sort of gravity looks like it takes it a little bit more, it's kind of, some of its optical illusion and how the hitter perceives all this, and and that's a 10-hour-long podcast on its own, but like some fastballs pair better with that big hammer curveball. Um, if you are a guy who's always survived with, my stuff is my stuff, this is how I got to the big leagues, I just throw strikes, this is my stuff, it's going to be pretty hard for anyone to break down that wall. But if you are curious, if you are open-minded, if you, are, if you have that sort of growth mindset that people talk about in business now and in sports, hmm, that matters. If you are that person, Wes is going to be fantastic for you. Because Wes told me in, our, in the course of our interview for that show, he said, uh, with social media today, says, has really changed the learning aspect of it. Because if there's a guy, picture it, you know, I'm just making up an, uh, an example of this isn't anyone specific, but like your fringe major leaguer, three guys are ahead of you, uh, or uh, let's use a pitcher. 14 guys, you count heads and count the numbers and say, like, yeah, that guy's got a major league deal. That guy's got a major league deal. That guy's got 10 years in the big leagues. I ain't making this team. If you come to spring training with an interest in learning, it's going to be fantastic for you because um, he said, guys will come to me, and they'll have seen something on social media. You used the weighted balls example earlier. So guys will see driveline baseball tweeting about, like, oh, weighted balls. Watch Trevor, Trevor Bauer's velo go up. Two miles an hour a year for the last four years, and guys are gonna be like, "Whoa, he used to be eighty nine, ninety one, and now he's ninety six. I could be ninety six. How, how do I do this?" So Wes said, "It's not just about seeing something out there and then just oh, go into it blindly." He said, "If we're gonna make a specific change, we gotta we gotta tell a guy why we're making this change. Hey, we want you to ditch this in favor of the cutter Perez, so that." You don't get blown up in yeah. the second time through the order. Your cutter's a swing and miss pitch. Let's use it. What? Oh, sorry, I, I have a tangent off this, but yeah. Let's get to it. But just to finish the point is that like you can't you can't be hard headed and receive that information sometimes. But Wes also said like you almost have to be as a pitching coach. Now I'm putting words in his mouth, but like you almost have to be on the offensive for that like cutter mix thing for Perez. Guarantee you they talked to him about that change before they signed the deal. Yeah. I guarantee that. Secondly, you have to be on the defensive a little bit too when a guy comes to you and says, oh, so if I just like work out this offseason, I can be from 92 to 96 with my fastball? Well, hold on. So Wes's point is like you got to have an answer for everything, and then you have to have a why for every answer too. So that answer to me, I don't know if that answers your question, Phil, of is he a good communicator? I think if you have that understanding, you're basically automatically – at least at the goal line of being a good communicator. Yeah, so, I, no, I love great that. Start. That's I think if you're a Twins fan listening yeah. to this, you should you should have some optimism that they're definitely on the right track when it yeah. comes to fixing their pitching because it's been a systematic issue for ten plus years. They haven't it, put it this way: if, if Jose Barrios is an ace, and 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 the hope is that he will start to become that in 2019, it'll have been a decade between aces. Really, I mean Francisco yeah. Liriano post Tommy John wasn't really an ace. Johan Santana got traded 2008, and, and so over a decade. Side tangent real quick here. I feel like a lot of 
not only older baseball people, but just older people in general. Like traditional, if you were if you were born before a certain time period, and and you're used to respecting authority, and you never question authority, and if you have a teacher or a coach that tells you to do something, you don't question why, you just do it. You don't ask, uh, you know, you you ask how high when they tell you to jump, right? And my my rebuttal back to that would be like, what's what's so wrong with being curious and wanting to know why? Yeah, there's nothing in wrong an with age that. of information. I it, I don't understand why there can't be some back and forth and just a little more depth to uh, an instruction. And if so, if if I'm a player and my career is on the line and I have a chance to make millions of dollars and my health might be on the line because you never know what what yeah. the, the ticking uh, time bomb situation is on your shoulder or your elbow, and someone tells me. I think you should throw this mix of pitches instead, or I think you should ditch that pitch. Of course, I'm going to ask why. You better, and you should, and you should just offer the why right. before you uh, have me question you. On right. The why, right, right, right. So why is that such a bad thing? I feel like people, you and I are younger guys. You're in your 20s, and I'm in my early 30s, and so we've, I think we've kind of grown up with the in- internet information age, and we want, we get to find the why much more easily than maybe our parents did. They had to go to a library and find an encyclopedia to find the why. We go to Google, right? Well, even if it's wrong, yeah. <laughs> but we go to oh. Google. But I think if you're confident in your coaching and your instruction, it doesn't bother you for one second that somebody asks why. In fact, those are my favorite students. Yeah. Well, the more the more you ask, or the more you offer the why, and then you wind up being correct two or three times. It's funny people probably stop asking you why. They just trust you. So that, that's another part of relationship building. I would think that if if a pitcher asks. Wes Johnson, why two or three times, and yeah. he's right. If as you go down the road and reflect back, maybe you eliminate some of those right. questions in the future. I'm picturing Bill Belichick working with like the defensive line. He's like, okay, so when they snap, put your hand here. Do you think that journeyman NFL lineman trying to make the team is like, oh, I don't know, coach? <laughs> why? No, my, at that point, you've probably earned it. Right, You're but okay. my guess is Bill Belichick probably explains why while he's yelling at you. Hey, idiot, put your hand here because this, 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 yeah, this, sure. right? <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. But I I think that you're going to like Wes a lot, Phil. Um, the the 2012 biomechanics discussion that we got into is is definitely a part of him. And that's why I say, like, at the beginning of the show, I started it off by saying, like, I don't know if he's going to be successful. But he is the type of profile that I would say I would put a lot of trust in that this this is the pool I want to fish out of. Somebody with an understanding of biomechanics. He's been working with TrackMan data since 2014, 2015, working at a relatively small college, collecting and analyzing this data and using it to make his pitchers better. That's exactly what Derek Falvey would be looking for, right? I mean, you'd think. So he marries those two things up with addition. He's like this baseball lifer guy, loves, like, it's so cliche. There is a, uh, there's a good Facebook video. I found it on, I think it's Arkansas Baseball. Just search Wes Johnson on Facebook, and it was like a day in the life of him as the pitching coach for the Razorbacks. And it's just like this dude just loves baseball. He he loves working with the staff. That's cliched, and you can't quantify that. So I'm not saying that's why, but I'm saying as like the third su- third strand of supporting evidence for why I think this guy could be good, that's a big thing. And then everybody just smiles when they see him. I mean, that's it's not something I can quantify. I don't even have any great anecdotes about this other than he calls – a skinny Kyle Gibson, big beef mountain. Um, he's calling Adalberto Mejia Grande Puma, who then turns around and calls him like little cat in Spanish. Um, 
as we were walking to the interview field, I don't know if I told you this story. We were walking down to the side fields, the bullpens down the third baseline, like left field, basically, at Hammond Stadium. We're going to walk under that catwalk, sit down at the picnic tables that overlook the Twins' bullpens. And as we walk out, Michael Pineda walks out of the, like, it wasn't out of the dugout. I'm back out of the batting cage, basically. And he's going to the field. He's headed to the field. He's got his glove. He's got his cap on. And Michael Pineda, who is all of six foot seven, reaches his arm. He sees Wes coming around the corner, walking with some nerdy guy in a podcast bag. That was me. And Pineda puts his arm straight up above his head. Like, I was like, is he waving or is he, like, going to jump up and try to dunk a basketball or something? And Wes Johnson, who's 5'7", if you're being generous, and he's wearing platform shoes, walks over to Michael Pineda, squats, and jumps up to the top of his vertical to slap <laughs> Pineda on the hand. It was an impressive vertical, and it was just kind of like Pineda knew he was going to do it. The other pitchers, like, just know he's ready with a joke. I think all of that stuff sort of layers together yeah. that if you don't have the educational component of it, that's just being a goofball. And good luck to you. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. If you have all of that stuff and an ability to connect with people and be a coach and take an interest in their life and all of that kind of stuff, that's where you start to look at like this complete package could, I would even say should, be a pretty good thing for the Twins this year and going forward. See, uh, hearing some of the stuff, I'm, I'm convinced the Twins are either going to win the World Series in 2019 <laughs> They're either going to win the World Series because they have stumbled into the perfect ingredients and they've hired well, or they're just way too eclectic with some of their hiring and it's all going to blow up in like two years. I'm not sure. I don't know if there's a middle ground. It's really (laughs) – I don't know, man. I like the track that they're on. Like I criticize them probably as much as anybody, uh, I would say. And I am really, after three and a half weeks in Fort Myers or whatever – I don't think they're going to win the division. I think the Indians are way better this year. But I think as I look at the totality of like where this thing is moving in their R&D department, in their front office, with their coaching staff now under Rocco Baldelli, and the cohesion that those groups have within each other, like their intermingling and their interaction, I think this is headed in the right direction, and it's like nothing but positive I can say about where the Twins are at. Uh, we will have, and, and today we are recording this on March 13th here. It is a Wednesday, so hopefully... Hopefully you're listening to it before the start of the season because uh, if not, this announcement will be outdated. But we have we have two additional twin shows we're going to announce very soon to add to our feed. So uh, where you're probably listening to this is the Score North Twins feed. That's the only feed you're going to have to subscribe to, and you're going to get two additional awesome twin shows uh, plus five thoughts on Fridays. Touch them all multiple times a week. And let's just say... Uh, one of them is a prominent former twin that will join our collection, and another one is a prominent twins writer that will join our collection, and then his stable that goes with him. Mm. I was going to say, Charlie Walters ticks both boxes. <laughs> he does. 